Hello, welcome to this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast and we're bringing you a bit of a Sunday brunch vibe this weekend. We are still up in Newcastle, longest trip of the season of course for us away to Norwich and uh, it's a nil-nil draw. What more could you want from the longest trip of the season? I am Dave Freezer, and we are coming to you from Newcastle, also on Future Radio 107.8 FM. I'm joined by, as ever, Connor Southwell, Paddy Dabbit and Tony Thrussell and uh, yeah I guess you're not going to get to record your your Sunday brunch video this week Pad with us travelling back on a Sunday so this this will have to keep everyone happy well you say that David but I'm thinking um, there's potential for a bit of a James Corden mashup in the car on the way back (laughs) why not carpool karaoke yeah we've got five hours to kill so so obviously this might be after the event now but at this point there won't be any Sunday papers but there might be a little bit of up gold Oh, sounds like Paddy's promising to do a bit of karaoke for the uh, pink and app users. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we want listeners, don't we? We want listeners and views that wouldn't achieve either of those criteria if, if I was to start singing. Well, we've got to try and keep things light to a certain extent because Norwich have slipped a point further away from safety. They're seven points uh, drift after this nil-nil draw, full of chances once again. and It's going to be... We're going to discuss a, a fairly similar story, one that we've rather got used to in terms of Norwich not taking their chances. Uh, but, yeah... Nil-nil away at Newcastle, and Connor, how can you put a new spin on it? <laughs> I'm not sure I can, to be honest. I, f- I think for me, the the major frustration, and and I was saying to that, saying to you, to you before, is is not is the fact that it's not like they're going, or if they do go down, it's not like they're they're going down with a whimper, and, and because they're not good enough, because I think they've shown in enough games and enough patches of games that they are good enough. It's just that, as you say, those decisive moments and actually lacking the, the quality to put chances away. I mean, 19 shots away from home is an incredible feat. <laughs> but to not to score is, is perhaps even more incredible. Um, it, it's, yeah, what, what can you say that's new, really? Because it's um, it's a very similar story to what we've seen probably in a, in a lot of Norwich games since the start of December, really, when performances have been there. Um, but they, they've just lacked that edge and, and that ruthlessness in front of goal um, that, has, that has been able to to get points uh, or, or free points that they need um, and it, it just feels like any possibility of something magical happening is, is possibly slipping through their fingers a little bit um, especially when you consider the next four games I think it's, it's going to take um, probably a shock result in m- m- at least one but possibly even two of those games um, to, to give them the spark that they need for the remainder of the season but yeah I mean very similar to, to what we've seen all season and that I mean frustration is the word isn't it because it's not as though um, the, well, the, the, some of their passages of, of play and, and their patterns of play are, are really good and, and really good to watch but in terms of effectiveness they, they just fall short and it's, it's really difficult because uh, it's a, a, a style of play that you don't want to see them abandoned but equally you compare that to the way Newcastle played yesterday and they, they find themselves what 10th in the Premier League I mean, there's there's no way that, that they were ten places better than Norwich yesterday, um, and and they they probably lacked a real identity. And that said, they've got points on the board, so it's it's a fine balance, isn't it? Um, and yeah, it, it just kind of feels like in enough games they haven't quite taken the moments that they need to take. And I think sadly, it's it's going to be quite a, a tall order now. I think yesterday was, for, for me at least, was was very much uh, last chance saloon. I think it would take something monumental and unheard of to, to to survive from here but never say never 
Absolutely. Well, Tony, you're going to be our star of the show this time because you, uh, as always, of course, but you, you uh, have an affinity for Newcastle, don't you? You always keep an eye on, on their results and things. So this was a, an interesting one for you. And St James's Park, for me, it's the first time I've, I've been inside the stadium. Um, so I was intrigued by that the atmosphere was so flat and I can't see that their supporters sticking with Steve Bruce for too long with that sort of style of play. You know, p- playing basically five at the back against a promoted team letting Norwich dictate play, letting Norwich attack essentially. And OK, they came out with a nil-nil, they, they get a point. They're now 10th in the league somehow. And, you know, what, 33 point, uh, 31 points, isn't it, already on the board? So, five I, points off fifth. Five <laughs> five exactly. Off fifth. So, I mean, it was Steve Bruce will point to that, won't he? But the, the, in terms of style of play, Newcastle fans aren't going to settle for that for long, are they? No, I mean, they're a long, 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 long way from the entertainers. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, imagine paying your hard-earned money to watch watch that. I mean, that you can hack it for a year, maybe a year and a half, but eventually the fans are going to want something a bit, bit mm. better to entertain them. I mean, I'm trying to think of when they last. Under Rafa, at least... I t- it's hard because I don't watch them as much as I watch Norwich so I don't really know how they've been playing properly for years but all I can think back is to when I used to fully fully follow them under Bobby Robson Sir Bobby I should say um, and every game you just went in knowing they were going to go for it beat everyone try and score more than the others and that's as a fan that's what I want which is it's kind of the way Norwich try and play is, is try and outscore the others Norwich's problems seem to come from they have tried to make it more solid but they're just not taking their chances now yeah well that's the it's incredible frustration behind all this now isn't it I'm, we'll play you interviews with Tim Krull and Christoph Zimmerman a little bit later in the pod and it's the frustration that they they were both talking about so much because you know you look at the style of play that Norwich had and if they'd have won those games or just three or four of the games that they should have won they would be up in mid-table by now and they are probably a Premier League mid-table quality team but these other teams who are established in the Premier League your Palaces your Newcastles Burnley they know that you've just got to grind out points with some ugly football and that's what Norwich seemingly have come up and not realised with the caveat of the injury crisis at the start of the season which obviously kind of threw their plans out of the window to a certain extent but um, we should say that Tim Krull had to earn his t- clean sheet as well, didn't he, Pad? They, it was a clean sheet they would have been pleased with. And we've all sort of been talking since the game, haven't we, that if this was early in the season, if this was September or something, you draw 0-0 at Newcastle, are you really happy with it? All day long, but that's not where they are now. They're in now February. They're now seven points from safety and 13 games left. It's as bleak as that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he did. he wasn't overly worked, as he has been on occasion this season, but what he had to do, he was solid. And I think, on balance, I think that's two, two or three clean sheets in, in recent times. I, th- I think they do look a bit more solid, and, and hat tip to Grant Hanley for me. Again, he yeah. came in, another former returning Newcastle player. Um, and yeah, but obviously, we, we've discussed it, uh, Tony and Connor, and maybe a lot of that was Newcastle were pretty... Although they, they threatened on the counter, Sam Maximan looked a very good player for, 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 for his age. I think he'll kick on again but in years to come, but... There wasn't a huge, sharp, clinical edge. I mean, Joe Linton, not sure what on earth he is, but he's not a £40 million striker on the evidence of the two games against Norwich. So, yeah, Norwich solid. But for me, all of this now boils down to they haven't 
got enough quality across midfield to score goals. You know, defensively, kind of touched on it at breakfast. You know, apparently Newcastle's defenders combined scored twelve goals. Well, Norwich, I would, without having checked the stats, take Todd Cantwell out of the equation. I don't think combined efforts of the rest of Norwich's midfield and defence amounts to twelve goals. And Timu Puki looks like a man now who's who's had too much football for club and country. Um, and he's not at his sharpest. He looked almost inhibited when he got in the shooting positions that we've seen him slot with Gay Abandon this time last season. Um, I think he's not scored in open play since Leicester. Um, obviously, the Tottenham VAR goal chalked off. So, ultimately, for me, it'll boil down to they don't have enough quality to score goals at this level um, relative to the amount of chances they're creating. Chance creation, not a problem. Yeah, Premier League quality all day long. But Emi Buendia, to take an example, not scored a Premier League goal seven, eight months in, it's not good enough, is it? For, for as much as people eulogise about his, his assist stats, and they are hugely impressive, and sadly for Norwich, that'll probably get him a move to a decent Premier League club in the summer, but his output, his final output, not good enough. McLean, not good enough. Saw it again yesterday, near post-header, should have should have got it on target at least. Tete's never going to chip in with many, but not good enough, and, and on and on and on. You know, So when and, and if they do go down, it'll be because, simply put, they don't have enough decent players to score goals at Premier League level let's we'll come back to Buendia in just a minute let's break off for a bit of what Tim Krull had to say uh, to me after the game uh, clearly a, a special moment for him he had been about St James's Park with Brighton but was was an unused substitute that day so this was his first proper return it was end of 2015 when he did his knee his cruciate knee ligament I, I think it was or certainly a knee injury while he was on international duty with Holland on, a, on an artificial pitch in, in Kazakhstan and he had been you know the long time established number one with Newcastle they finished fifth in the Premier League with him he made the quarterfinals of the Europa League nearly 200 appearances for the club and, and with them for a long time so it, it meant a lot for him to go back there and to keep a clean sheet but of course we're mainly interested in, in the Norwich factor in this and it's just frustration. But well done on the clean sheet. Yeah, um, you. you must be satisfied with that coming back to uh, coming back to your club. Yeah, a special day for me personally. Um, just frustrated that we didn't walk away with the three points. I think we've done enough uh, today to uh, current them. Um, I think more than enough, really. Just like it's so hard because we did everything right. We played played well. We've, we've pressed them high. Everything what the manager wanted to do, we did. And it's just that that final goal. Dubravka made a good save from the header in the first half. Kenny had a big header in the second half. Just that final bit wasn't wasn't falling for us today. It was going to be like the Man City goal, wasn't it? <laughs> just oh, as he came up at the front. It, it was it felt like he was up in the air for three seconds and just a final. Mm. It's hard, it's hard. It's a difficult place to come here and uh, to break them down. But uh, I thought we've done enough to, uh, yeah, like I said, to, to walk away with three points. But although you were on top, you. you deserved your clean sheet and you? you had to work for that and make some good saves and, yeah. and the defenders as it well it was a weird game yeah because because like you say we, we felt we were dominating but then they've got quality up front listen they've got maximum on the on the wing if he comes in and he keeps running it's, he's dangerous <laughs> you know for sure but um, we've dealt with him well some good blocks from, from Grand and, and Simbo as well um, so yeah I'm happy happy to obviously to yeah, to be back here with a clean sheet and um yeah, it's just like I said, just uh, the boys in the change room uh, asking themselves how we didn't uh, win this. Had you, did you come back here with Brighton on the bench? Yes, so Same. it was different. It was yeah. totally different. For this, the first time I uh, felt more like a proper, like a, a welcoming send off, really. It was it was nice because, um, like I said, the way I left was was horrible, really, and it should have not been like that. But I think the fans going off their reception and uh, um, there at the end, 
I think they, they, they felt the same. So it was going to be a club that means a lot to you? Oh, massive, massive. 12 years. I mean, I came here as a 17 year old boy. You know, uh, my wife is from here, my little girl was born here. So it's, it's a special. We've got amazing highs and lows here. Um, so it's, it's quite special to be loved by two clubs and, 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 um, and two clubs are, are, yeah, I really, really love as well. So it's nice uh, not to be too soppy about it, but it, it is special. How was it in the dressing room then? Because you could see that the tempers were running high a little bit at the final, or, or more, more frustrations were running high at the final whistle. How do you all sort of keep the belief in this moment? Yeah, it's just everybody's just it felt like a loss, if I'm honest. Um, just we we'll have to pick ourselves up. We're having a break at the moment. I think we're in a great shape. We've done out of the last 13, 14 games, bar Man United, I, th- I think we've done really, really well. It's just the wins haven't, over, especially over Christmas, we haven't really got those wins on, on, on board. But again, we're still playing the teams around us um, and those are the ones who have to win. And if you don't with them, that's a different story. But I still feel it's in our hands and we're going to do everything in the last 13 games uh, that, uh, to get those six wins on board. So that was Tim Krull. Uh, as I say, we stayed over in Newcastle on Saturday night. Um, it was a slightly different weekend for us because it was deadline day on Friday, which ended up being a bit busier than we were expecting, didn't it, Pat? So we'll, we'll come to that um, a little bit later in the pod as well with Ibrahim Amadou going out uh, late in the window. But we uh, we got back to the hotel, finished a bit of work, ended up having a bit of late dinner, and you, you spotted we were being accompanied by a rather recognisable guest, didn't you, Connor? Yeah, well, I was I was sitting there working my throat way through a, a very nice apple crumble. Um, <laughs> and, I like uh, the pundit description of it. <laughs> and I've uh, I've glanced across to to see someone uh, who uh, you know when, when you see someone you almost do a double take. It was it was one of those. Um, and yeah, I saw your eyes. Only, only, only to see Andy Carroll sitting in in the corner of this very room that that we're, we're sat in. Um, which was a bit of a shock, considering uh, I, I think it's fair to say where we are, perhaps on paper, isn't the most glamorous location probably in this city. Um, but it's, it's a very nice establishment all the same. Um, but but yeah, he was uh, he, he was uh, sat over there. Um, yeah, was, was, it, was he in the apple crumble as well? Colin? I, no, he he wasn't indulging in the, in the apple crumble, although he did have a, a Newcastle brown ale, I believe, on the go. Um, oh. So he's, you have to; it's, it's part of the exactly. uh, it's, part it's, of the culture. It's the culture, here, isn't it? Absolutely. But uh, he he seems to be having a, a very merry night, no no doubt. Um, thinking about what he could have offered to that Newcastle team today, that perhaps uh, oh yesterday that, that Joel Linton didn't, um, because I think unlike Joel Linton, he's you know what he is, don't you? So. Um, yeah, it's, it, it was it was interesting to see what he's been for a, a World Cup with England. Um, so that was a bit bizarre last night. Scored that great header against Sweden in one of the Euros, didn't he? Twenty twelve. Yeah, when right. Hodgson set up like Bruce's Newcastle, right, tried yeah. to win on pens versus Italy, but failed. Yeah, that sounds about <laughs> right. And um, yeah, I mean, he was he was being well behaved, wasn't he? He certainly wasn't uh, on the lash or anything. But as we say, we're not staying at the Ritz, Newcastle, if uh, if such a place exists I don't know if our Archant employers are listening we're definitely not staying at the Ritz <laughs> I would have liked to have seen Big Andy versus Big Grant yesterday that would have been a good tussle that would have been a good tussle because Grant generally 
came out pretty well against Joe Ellington. But um, yeah, Newcastle Brown Ale. I haven't had one of them for, for years. And you know, craft beer is so big now, isn't it? In in terms of uh, real ale and things like that, that you have so much selection nowadays. I don't you don't even really see it in shops no. down south these days. No, but back to the crumble. That was that was, <laughs> that was kind of the the icing on the cake, but probably a little bit too much, wasn't it? There was a lot of it. Yeah. There was a lot of it for for an individual serving. There was a lot yeah. of crumble. The way anything I was pleased about is that because he was sat quite close, wasn't he? Was that we because we had been sort of slacking off Newcastle yeah. a bit while we were sat there <laughs> talking about the game. If he'd just been sat yeah. the other side of the sort of um, uh, the into the next booth, then he may well have had something to say. But I don't think he quite could have heard us. But uh, yeah, so yeah, dinner with Andy Carroll. That's uh, that's your standard Saturday night. Um, let's get back to the game. And yeah, you mentioned oh, well, it before. Can I just oh. throw in as we're on famous faces? Who, me and Connor were on the uh, Facebook Live prior to the game doing the yeah, doing the team news wrap. Yeah, must watch piece of content, you you lovely people. Uh, hour before the kickoff, get yourself to the Pink and Facebook Live. Who should come up the gangway? David Ginola. No I've never I've never seen Paddy starstruck like that. He, he just stopped mid mid was sentence. <laughs> what was his hair like? I, I thought there was, I, I thought we had some connection issues, but uh, no. no, 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 see, no. see, for me, because I got into Newcastle just after he'd left. I think he was a Tottenham player, so for me, he's he's Tottenham, mm. unfortunately. But Lauren Robert. That's another story. He's the Ginola of my generation. Oh, no, Lauren Robert is not David Ginola. <laughs> no, no, no Ginola won... Uh, Question of Sport. Play, player of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> he was on there, wasn't Question he? Of sport. He won Player of the Season, didn't he? Prem- at the um, What would it have been, like, Football Writers? Football Writers player, player of the yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, he was here. That Obviously, that was the Keegan era, wasn't it, when Ginola was yeah. here? I mean, he was I unfortunately top draw. got in uh, the Rude Hullet era. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so yeah, many, many, many a famous face with a Newcastle uh, connection, but uh, obviously we're here purely on business, so you know that's by the by. Didn't, didn't see uh, anyone from Saudi Arabia, did we? <laughs> no. Yeah, takeover talks continue, and that, I think that may have contributed to why the atmosphere was oh, so was, flat it yesterday. Was, it was, it was so odd, wasn't it? And I was just trying to picture Carrow Road. I said to you, imagine if Norwich had a stadium like this, mm. and imagine it being flat like that. It's just, it's ready to be a, a massive club. Yeah, you think about all the flags and the atmosphere generation that have, all that work that's gone in at, at Carrow Road, and there's not even a sign of that in Newcastle. Yeah. That that link between fans and, and owners and things like that doesn't even exist. So, you know, I know things feel a, a bit bleak in terms of going back down, and there's a lot of people who just, the thought of another Premier League relegation is just too painful to take and there's a lot of people who just have got a lot of pent-up anger and frustration at the moment but that isn't everyone I think a lot of people are generally happy with the place that the club is and and if they have to go back to the championship and, and push for another promotion I don't I think with possibly even the majority of Norwich fans that they can they can handle that so you know Newcastle is, is an interesting one to, to sort of see up close in, in that um, in that regard uh, Back to the football, um, Emmy Buendia, you mentioned it before we heard that bit from, from Tim Krull, Pad. he stormed down the tunnel at full time, didn't he? There's there's no uh, sugarcoating that one, really. He was really wound up. Um, he's, he was back in the squad after that two-game injury absence, came on um, for the last what, 20 minutes or so, wasn't it? And he was just incredibly what, sort of ball of anger, wasn't he? He just could nothing would work for him. No, and, and Daniel did... Farker did clarify post-match that as he had done pre-match that both him and Cantwell missed Burnley um, Wendy missed the game before as well didn't he Tottenham and in Daniel's view Todd had looked a little bit sharper and obviously he'd only been out I think he said Emmy had missed 10 days training and Todd had missed 5 hence why it was Cantwell in 
when you're on the bench. Now, that was Daniel's logic. Uh, and then he felt when Todd tired around the 60-65 minute mark on Emmy Kem. But whether Emmy uh, probably agreed with that logic on, on the evidence of his cameo, no. I, I think he was, a, he was a very frustrated man all the way through. Gave the ball away two or three times. Bailed out by Tim Krull on one occasion when Sam Maxman cut inside Aaron's curler and Krull just palmed it away. Did set up on El Hernandez with a lovely raking crosswheel ball in stoppage time, but that was his only positive contribution. And um, we saw the petulance again, you know, when moves broke down or, you know, he was, yeah, he was, he wasn't a a man who who was uh, fully plugged into trying to get that team over the line yesterday. And that's, it's not what you want to see, really. You know, ultimately, Daniel's made the call that it's Todd Campbell starting a game and, and you would expect anybody who comes off the bench to almost use that as a positive and to, oh, we'll show you that I should be in this 11. And sadly, on that evidence, we didn't see it. But very hard, I'd imagine, for a substitution to just come in, get the tempo of the game and hit the ground running. So I feel there's a little bit of mitigation required, but still, uh for me, that wasn't a 20 minutes that would, would scream he needs to start ahead of Campwell against Liverpool. But I think the reality is, with another two weeks training, he probably will. Because prior to the quad problem, he was rounding into a really consistent seam of form, albeit with the caveat I mentioned earlier, not seeing enough in terms of end product from him. But um, yeah, in terms of his, his, his output at Newcastle, not good enough. Yeah, of course, he was nominated for Premier League Player of the Month for December, wasn't he? So I don't know how. For December. For December, yeah. Oh, sorry, for yeah. January, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. December, fair enough, but... You were talking about the uh, one that you <laughs> noticed in the car, aren't you? Yeah, the, yeah. He's... It's team, the team of the month for January, so he, uh, they had to have started or played in three games, which, which, I, which was I who scored, wasn't it? Yeah, who yeah. scored, yeah. And he was in there with, with De Bruyne and um, I think Jesus was in there, Aguero, so some big names in there. Um, but he, he was on the right, I think, of, of that. Imagine Aguero in Norwich's team with all the chances that they create. Well, I used to say that Pookie was the Aguero of the Championship, didn't I? But, um, yeah, he's not the Aguero of the Premier League, unfortunately, at the moment. Uh, yeah, but but Buendia, to me, as I say, Premier League Player of the Month nomination for December. He was in great form, and hopefully he can get back to that. He, we know what a crucial player he's going to be to Norwich, but it just felt to me like he was trying to be Maradona. He was trying to do it all himself, and he was... I guess that's maybe a little bit of immaturity, because Emmy's role is creator, isn't it? I know he's desperate for a goal and things like that, but... He didn't work out. And also, uh, doing the live updates at Pinkin.com, there was more frustration, that, as there often is with Daniel's late substitutions. And El Hernandez got, what, 10 minutes? Mario Vrancic, even less than that. So, you think he should have brought on those attacking options earlier? Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it became obvious that Norwich were going to need something a little bit different to help them un- unlock a door. Um, and and to, to be fair to Daniel, was, and we've said 19 shots, so that, so clearly they were creating. That wasn't the issue. It was, it was actually having the quality to convert. For me, it was probably a big mystery why why jo- uh, Josip Dermich didn't come on, mm, especially yeah. given that he'd had a, a game last week at Burnley, obviously scored a goal, so, so the confidence was going to be with him. And it was a game that Norwich did need three points. That was as, as close to a do-or-die game as, as perhaps you can get, given that they've got Liverpool and if Villa beat Spurs, which is unlikely, but that gap could extend to, I think, his 10 points. So um, then they would be in, in, in the realms of... Uh, well, they, they look pretty doomed from there. Um, but on, 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 on Buendia, I, I think he is... 
on it, when Norwich can get a tune out of him, he, he is their best player. It's, it's as simple as that because I, I think his technical ability surpasses all, all that they've got. Um, and particularly if he, if he had been fully fit, I think in that first half when they were struggling to almost connect those, uh, those spells of possession where they'd sort of knocked it between the, the two holding midfielders and, and the defenders and almost their attacking line. Um, it, it sort of took Kenny, uh, Kenny McLean to come a bit deeper but to allow Duda and Campbell to find space. I think in that situation it, it was probably more suited to Wendy. I think in the second half maybe they needed a, a Mario Vrancic actually to almost orchestrate things from, from deeper positions because once they'd actually got the ball through the line then they did have options and they could create but it, it was that process that, that was proving difficult and um, yeah I, I mean he's, he's, he's opted for, for Buendia and Hernandez I think if, if it was me and, and I've obviously got the luxury of hindsight then I think I'd, I'd have probably gone for Mario Vrancic and uh, Josip Dermic but there you go that's that's uh, that's all done now and uh, yeah he, he has to and I, I understand why he brought Buendia on because a player of that quality I mean the fans were singing for him everyone is, is aware of his quality um, when, he, when he is on song and he is uh, producing, but yesterday wasn't one of those days. And uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. It, it was a day where he just appeared a little bit too emotional. I think for me. Now I'm going to bring you a little bit of what Zimbo said in just a minute, and uh, look for a few of the positives in this because uh, there were some good performances in amongst it as well. But Tony coughing uh, in the background, you may have heard that. Just reminded me. I, I want to be careful not to make. Um, <laughs> yeah, you coughing I'm reminded me of this. Well, but I, and yeah, you <laughs> spending the I'm weekend with gonna, Tony. You're all going to be on the ropes in them. A couple of days, I think. But I want to be careful not to make a joke of this because it, it, it's serious. Uh, the coronavirus, which uh, of course is, is broken out in China, and, and sadly people have lost their lives from it. But in England, uh, it's just felt very odd, hasn't it? That it, it's broken out in England. The two cases of it are uh, have been at a hospital in Newcastle. You know, under quarantine, the authorities uh, are confident they've got it all under wraps and stuff. And where are we parked? <laughs> at the very hospital which is where the club uh, have assigned media parking. And as we pull up to this hospital, you can see the you know national press with their broadcast trucks and their TV presenters standing in front of cameras, all in front of the, uh, what was it called, the Victoria Infirmary, in wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I thought they were for Tony. They must have known Tony was going to be. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, coronavirus is obviously no joking matter, but it, we did sort of laugh at our situation in that, the one place in the country where there are a couple of people quarantined with it, we've ended up being parked up right outside. So that was um, that was quite a strange one. Um, positives? No, let's hear a bit from from Zimbo first. How's the mood in there? I mean, it feels like we've asked you this sort of tone of questions quite a few times, and that you're playing well and just not getting what you deserve. How, how do you sort of stay headstrong in this situation? I mean, straight after a game like this, where I think everybody had the feeling that we should have gotten another three points from here. It's always quiet then in the dressing room because everybody, like on, on the one hand, yes, we're happy performance-wise, and I think you could see that uh, the supporters they, they seem to appreciate our performance and they were standing there for in the whole game. And so I thought they've seen a, a decent game of us, but yeah, not to get the three points uh, once again. It, it sounds a bit like the the story of our season that we're playing well, the performance is good, um, but we don't manage to to get the right results from it. In different circumstances, particularly as a defender, you'd be really pleased with a clean sheet and a, and a point away from home. But is it enough at this stage of the season? Um, we were going here here to win the game, and I think you could see at the end as well that we were going all in uh, to to win it. Obviously, without being stupid and getting Tim up front as well. But uh, for all measures that we could, we were trying to go for it. I think second half uh, we were very much on the front foot. First half, 
as well, probably not as much as in the second half. I think it was obvious to everybody here that we were absolutely going for three points and not just settling for one. Um, and therefore, yeah, we can't be happy with even even it's a clean sheet from uh, away from home. But still, we're not playing for clean sheets. We're playing for three points. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Right then, positives. As I said, just before we heard from Christoph Zimmerman there, uh, Zimbo been really good actually this season in, in talking to the media after defeats. And, and, you know, in previous seasons when there have been relegation where there's been relegation potential it can be sometimes difficult to get the players to talk but but Zimbo's a, a good sort and he, he's always happy to talk but um, Lucas Rupp I thought uh, and Andre Duda I both thought were, were pretty decent on the whole at Newcastle let's see what you guys think but Rupp maybe isn't that noticeable he, sort of, he, quite, he floats around quite a lot but he actually did create two or three chances during that game didn't he? Yeah yeah and for me and again it's not really in wishing to sort of fast forward to next season now, but if the inevitable is confirmed in these coming weeks, he's a guy they've signed on a permanent. I think he can do a job in the Championship. Clearly, his pedigree is such that a decade in the Bundesliga, he won't. I don't think he'll be an eye catching. Uh, we've talked a lot about Buendia. He's not going to probably catch the eye like a Buendia would do week to week, but I think he would be a very useful addition in the Championship. And of course, you mentioned Duda, he'll go back to Herter and probably on somewhere else. But they did make two other signings. Uh, and I know we're going to come on to the window. Um, and those two, Melvin Seaty and Sam McCallum, two young men who they clearly feel could, you know, step up from their respective clubs at the minute and be a, a viable part of potentially a, a championship promotion uh, chasing team. And, and ultimately, you talk about Zimbo there, and that's a very fair point. And on on a broader point about you know people fronting up and and even though things aren't where they need to be, sticking their head above the parapet, I don't get the sense that this squad collectively, and we saw it again. Yes, okay, there's frustration at not taking their chances, but as a performance, couldn't have any qualms at all. The chances they created couldn't have any qualms at all. Um, the unity, the spirit, the togetherness, all these referenced by Daniel after the game. It would have been easier, and we've seen it before, seasons past, the Huddersfields, uh, Derby most notably, you know, teams do throw it in and basically just go down with a whimper and then that'll have an adverse effect moving into the following season. Whereas with this group, I still feel they, okay, they might not be quite good enough in this part of the cycle, but, but with the right work in the summer... I don't think they're a million miles from coming straight back. And and that's what I'm clinging to, is that it doesn't look like a massive salvage job is required in the summer. I think if everybody keeps their heads, and that includes Weber and Farker, yes, they'll be churned to the squad. That's inevitable. We've talked about Buendia. We could talk about Aaron's and these sort of characters. But I still think there's a nucleus there with the right additions in the summer. And, of course, financially, they'll be in a far healthier state than they were the last time they came down that there's reasons for optimism. I know that's hard and maybe you know it's pessimistic because there's still games left in the Premier League and it's not absolutely beyond the realms of believability they could do it, but you know, let's, let's have a bit of realism about it. It's looking very tough now. Uh, I think a li- little miracle has become a rather large miracle. certainly has. If they don't get something from these next four very difficult games, Liverpool at home, Wolves away, Leicester at home, Sheffield United away, that is a tough run of fixtures and they are going to have to get at the absolute bare minimum to keep any kind of hope alive, there's going to have to be one shock win in there, probably two, uh, as Connor hinted at earlier. Um, but you guys as well, just to wrap the the game for this weekend, a, a positive that, that stands out for you? 
Well, I, th- I think it was just a good away performance, and it, obviously it's, it's difficult because in the context of it, it's, it's not enough. But I, I think, and and probably you could probably say this again since since the beginning of December. I think the performances have been there, and logically in football, if the performances are there, you, you kind of tell yourself the results will follow, but they they haven't. Um, and I should just stress if that noise was picked up on the microphone yeah. <laughs> that that was Connor moving his elbow on the table. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that, that's 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 for me probably the frustration. I, I think in in terms of individual performances, yeah, I, I think Andre Duda looks a, a a real good talent actually. They're, perhaps not not the consistent level of performance, but some really nice touches. There was one where it was a, a Newcastle corner and. He's, he's taken one touch that, that's probably taken about five Newcastle players out of the game and has, uh, has uh, brought Norwich on the counter-attack. So I was impressed with him. Uh, equally, Grant Hanley for me. I, I think in recent weeks, I don't think he's, he's quite got enough praise. Um, I actually think probably as, as an option going forward, um, Hanley and Godfrey would, would probably be my partnership because I think since he's come back from injury, OK, he's, he's, a, bit, he's a little bit rough and ready. He's, he perhaps doesn't have the technique that... Um, Zimman Howell, Zimman not really, but but certainly other other central defensive options. But I think in the Premier League he does a really good job at, at going to war with centre forwards and making their life difficult. And Norwich don't have an, enough players like that for me. So yeah, Grant Hanley's definitely been a standout. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a good performance, and and that that for me is is I, I suppose you could argue that's the concern, the fact that they are performing in in this way um, and and not getting three points. But equally probably more bleak for me and again we were talking about it at breakfast is the fact you, you've got teams like Newcastle and um, I'd probably just throw Burnley into that equation who um, Watford certainly in, in terms of how they've surged up the table who are just organised and don't really have an ident- or a footballing identity in, in the modern sense of the word and um, almost do the basics well and, and that's why and, it, and when you consider the way Norwich are trying to do things they're trying to do it a bit differently I think, I think that's quite bleak to, to consider in, in terms of uh, from a football perspective but You've got to admire their approach. It's it's just a shame that it's it hasn't quite worked for them this year. I think. Yeah, Hanley for me, I thought his use of the ball was pretty safe at Newcastle. Um, he's just not expansive like a Godfrey yeah. is. He's not going to start spraying balls around, and, and like Zimbo is capable of as well. <laughs> for me, if you put Hanley and Burnt in his team or something at the moment, he would he would be doing a really good job for them. Um, now, Tony, before I come to you for your positive, um, you noticed some good um, or, or interesting stats at the very least on the BBC Sport website, didn't you? Which are. Uh, Norwich had 19 shots in this game. Only Manchester United, who had 24 against Burnley last month, have had more shots without scoring in a Premier League match, which is quite depressing. And Norwich had 19 shots in this match since 2003-04. Only in one Premier League away game have the Canaries had more attempts, which was 27 v Cardiff in February 2014. Which pretty much sums up the game, doesn't it? But, yeah, any, any player that stood out for you, Tony? Um... Well, I'll just echo the Hanley compliments. I don't think anyone was terrible. No. Um, I would have liked to have probably seen Varanchic start. That's the only difference I would have said. Mm. Purely because the the middle of the field, Newcastle was so weak, he would have gotten a lot of time to kind of dictate play, but it's irrelevant now, isn't it? It, it does feel like we are vastly approaching Groundhog Day each time yeah. we discuss pre-match and post-match because we keep saying this is the day they've got to do it today if they don't do it today it's over but even after the game we were still clinging to a bit of hope saying well if they pick up some results you know (laughs) but it is Groundhog Day Connor earlier 
it did feel like he was finally broken. <laughs> it's it's so, broken yeah. physically. Yeah. You can hear my voice. It's broken. He's only worked for us for a few months and we've broken him already. <laughs> I think if we... Well, if they can get a few good results and performances towards the end of the season, give a bit of hope going into the summer. <clears throat> so Sorry. <clears throat> It's getting too much for me. <laughs> um, Working here now as well. No, <laughs> some of uh, the the interesting thing I want to mention actually is players like Steeperman, Hernandez, uh, Leitner probably go, but the players that are kind of fringe players now, but have proven it in the championship. Is it going to be hard for Farker to reintroduce them into the team next season, or are they going to want to leave? Is that trust broken? I don't know. I think that's a difficult one to judge until the summer isn't it because sort of following on from what Pad had said a little while ago it's kind of how they go down isn't it if they go down with a whimper mm. and you know all momentum and, and and you know hope from that season has been kind of killed then that's going to be very difficult but if they can manage to you know at least keep things interesting stay in the relegation fight and, and go down at least retaining some credit so that you know the Farker project is still in shape then you would have thought that players like that can can come back into it but as we saw last season uh, confidence was a massive massive thing for Steepman and Hernandez particularly Steepman because we've sort of seen the opposite with him this year now that his confidence is not he's just not the same player is he he's not you know look at that one at uh, Burnley in the FA Cup last week that he puts wide with his right foot when uh, with his left foot sorry when he so obviously needed to use his right foot I think last year, Steepman in tip-top confidence would have would have put that away, no problem. One th- also thing is, um, if they sort of change the team too much, are they going to have a Farker uh, season similar to the first season under him? Mm. Because the second season, a lot of the players had been there a year or two, and they, they'd kind of worked the system. Is that what yeah. about that? Well, that's that leads very nicely segways thank you Tony into us looking at the the way that the transfer window concluded and and you've already spoken about Rupp Paddy he was the only permanent arrival but I think you know if Norwich back in the championship we can be pretty certain Andre Duda won't be uh, there because you know as Daniel Farkas already said he's sort of a 20-25 million pound player so that's not going to happen and they probably wouldn't be able to afford his wages Um, but the the two lads that have been brought in uh, late in the window Melvin City French midfielder and Sam McCallum, Coventry left back. Presumably, they are ones that Stuart Webber and Daniel Farker are looking at with exactly what Tony has just teed up there, in that they are going to fit the system down the line. Yeah, I, f- I think so. I think I think Melvin City is is probably the one that they've uh, put the trust in to replace Alex Tetty when when he eventually uh, leaves the club. Obviously, he's out of contract this summer. I think I think pre-season is going to be massive actually for for those. Um, sort of players because as, as Daniel said in his, his press conference he has to think about the short term it's up to Stuart Webber to, to think about the, the mid to long term and, and those players have to prove that they're not just options for, for that part of the Norwich City journey but, but equally this, this shorter part as well and if they can prove that in pre-season and um, prove prove their worth then they've got a coach who is willing to, to give them an opportunity uh, I think with, with McCallum that's probably going to be more difficult given that Jamal Lewis is ahead of him but again is, is he going to um, be someone that Premier League clubs are interested in the summer possibly given that he's a, a left footed midfielder uh, defender rather and um, Daniel said in, in, in his press conference again on Friday that, that they're pretty rare to find so um, yeah I, I think it's this, this transfer window is always going to be difficult because of the situation they found themselves in I think if they could have got a, a few more wins on the board in December then they become a bit more attractive um, and, and a bit less of a risk I, I think for for any player and, and Duda's the perfect example of that really because it's a player that they've had to sign on, on a short term deal because ultimately they're not in a position 
well, they're not in a position and he's not in a, in a position to, to fully commit to that because if uh, if they go down then we're in a situation like they, they were when they got relegated a few years ago when they've got players on massive wages who they can't shift on the books um, and, and for Duda he probably sees his career going in a bit of a, a different direction uh, than, than in the championship so it's it, it, I think it, it probably and we've we've not speaking to Stuart Webber so so we don't know but I, I think it probably has been a difficult window in terms of uh, recruits. I, I don't think they'd have wanted to have changed the squad too much for the for the reason I said earlier on because the performances have been there. I think it it was just a a couple of areas um, that that they did need perhaps a, a bit more competition in and and we've certainly seen the impact that Rupp has had um, equally Duda as well has given them something a bit different at number ten so. I, I think it probably depends on your outlook, but it was always going to be a difficult window. I don't think anyone will be too shocked by the business they've done. I think it's, it's nice to see them not just attempt to throw money at the problem, I think, and, and to stick with, with their ways, and to some that won't be enough, and to some it's stubborn, but they're, they're not going um, to risk it all to, to, to stay in the Premier League because, as, as they've said, it's, it's not the be-all and end-all. And, and we've seen clubs like, like Burnley before drop back down into the championship rebuild and, and come back stronger so um, in, in terms of that mid to long term it wouldn't be a, a viable option for Norwich to do that given the mistakes they've made in the past so probably a, a, a sensible transfer window one that whatever happens won't uh, won't hinder them going forward so um, yeah, I, I think I think all in all, they'll probably be quite pleased with the business they've done. Yeah, that was the thing. They, the position they're in, they cannot go and spend money. They, they can't even consider uh, an eight point five million pound signing like Stephen Naismith or seven million for Tim Closer, like they did in January twenty sixteen. Because in, in that position, they were five points better off than this in dis, uh, the start of January. So that they that was a position where they were able to go and spend, and it, obviously it didn't work out. They went down. They had a horrendous second half of the season. A lot of people still think if Closer hadn't have got injured in April, then they might have still just about stayed up. Let's not go back over old ground. But just financially, we all know that Delia and Michael, the board, Stuart Webber, they are desperate for the club to not be in debt again. So they weren't going to splash the cash. And when you look at the players that they're looking at, they the pool is shrunk by the fact that they're looking for quite specific players who fit Farkas style, who have got that technical ability. Then it's shrunk even smaller by players that they can actually afford and then it gets even smaller by the fact that you've got to persuade players we're six points seven points whatever it, it, it was at that moment in time adrift but don't worry we could still stay up you could still have a Premier League future with us the the options for Stuart Webber must have been really really thin on the ground so overall this transfer window was was never going to be well, was never likely to have a huge impact was it never no and, and that's some great um takedown of it it's two processes for me it's the financial element um, and Stuart Webber has said if his successor down the line inherits the mess he inherited he has failed fundamentally in his job so all the plaudits that he's got the architect of bringing in Farker who then in turn produces unbelievable championship title winning success um, one or two highs in the Premier League one or two lows but all of that for Webber wouldn't count, wouldn't count a thing if financially they're in the same mess um, and then the other process is, sadly, because they hadn't got the points on the board, they've gone into that window, and any player, putting aside for a minute the financials, but any player they would have approached, they took one look at Norwich, and let's be honest, it's a brutal business. Do they? Does that player, if they really feel their career is in the Premier League, are going to look at Norwich and think, six months later, these are in the Championship, I don't fancy that, no thank you very much. And a parallel with that is Sheffield United have just paid £22 million, reportedly, for a chap called Sander Berg from Genk, uh, club record deal 
Now, obviously, Norwich couldn't have done anything of that scale, which again underlines the financial disparity against a club who came up behind them in the championship. But Berg, so um, the reports in Sheffield tell you, turned down the Blades in the summer. Why did he turn them down? Because he probably looked at them and thought they're going to be struggling at the wrong end of the table. And of course, they went into January and have continued, having won this weekend, fifth in the table. What are they on? 36 points? Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. So. That's the difference, you know. Sheffield United, any player that have gone to in January would have looked at them and thought, "Oh yeah, they're definitely going to stay up this season." And they look like they're going to push on. They've got investment behind the scenes. Chris Wilder seems to know what he's doing. They've got a group of settled players, capable of improvement. Why would no one want to join that? So that's really what Knights were up against. It was a the financials and b unfortunately they hadn't done it on the pitch. And in that context, it was going to be short term, which is Duda. We won't be seeing him beyond the summer. No chance if they go down. Rupp, obviously that made sense financially because they paid a nominal fee to Hoffenheim, you know, reportedly less than sort of four or five hundred euros, thousand euros. <laughs> <laughs> Not that nominal. And uh, one or two add-ons, obviously, further down the line. But small beer, small beer compared to every other club in the Premier League. And then the main thrust of the business is what we've seen in the last week of the window. City, McCallum, because that is, to quote Daniel Farker, the Norwich way. You get younger players in, you hothouse them, and then you hope, like an Aaron's, like a Lewis, like a Godfrey, that they develop, bloom, flourish, and then, like a Madison, sadly, they probably get sold on for big money. That, unfortunately, is the Norwich model as we sit here today. I like that, hothouse them. Not, not heard that phrase before. Oh, <laughs> it works very nicely. Um, Sheffield United is an interesting one. It sort of emphasises the point that I was just making about the finances and the club not wanting to be in debt. Um, you know, we've heard the financial projections for this year is that they'll make a £16 million profit and that's because that is the absolute bare minimum sort of cushion they'll need if they get relegated they have to budget for uh, being relegated particularly in the position they're in but I believe that's their starting point anyway with their budgets as a self-funded club that they would go straight back down because their finances are difficult so £16 million is just a, a sticking plaster really in, in dealing with the drop in income from the Premier League they will, they will need at least one player sale to cushion the blow properly of losing you know, £100 million in, in revenue essentially is what it is. Obviously you get your parachute payments but it's going to be complex and they have got to stabilise those finances if they go down. But Sheffield United, they have wealthy owners, don't they? They So... If this at this point in January they need to borrow money to sign someone for twenty-two million, they've a got an owner who could potentially do that, or b they can now get loans out, knowing that they are almost certain to have that Premier League money coming in. Norwich just don't have that situation. Even to go and get a ten million pound player, that is big interest that you pay on getting a ten million pound loan. So they can't do that. The one thing that did occur to me while you were talking there, Pad, I guess we're going to have to do some digging on this one, but we saw a huge raft of new contracts last summer, didn't we? And I think we can safely presume, knowing how Stuart Webber operates, that and with what happened with the club in the past under McNally during that 2016 transfer window, is that all of those contracts are going to have had some kind of uh, contingency for relegation, aren't they? Yeah, that is the case, mate. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I've been told a figure that will be the ceiling for the wages next season, and and it's n- it's nowhere near you know what you would get a Premier League player for so yeah bottom line is yeah all of those contracts would have been contingent on clauses um, and that in itself this is what I'm saying the the key this summer Weber is really I mean he's, he's he's produced miracles talking of miracles a lot he has produced miracles he'll probably have to do another one this summer because there's so many moving parts because there'll be players coming down who are on Premier League wages the contractual triggers will kick in and they'll be on a lot less than that 
How do you keep the ones happy you want to keep? Which ones can you feasibly sell and still keep the team moving forward? Make no mistake, this will be another massive summer in what Farker and Weber are trying to do. Absolutely. Um, and one thing we haven't really discussed, um, Ibrahim Amadou, he went out very late. Uh, he was the man keeping me up late before our uh, <laughs> early trip to um, to Newcastle on Saturday morning. Um, Tony, it just never really worked out for him, did it? And, and having to play in, in defence kind of seemed to puncture any potential momentum he'd have had as a new signing. Yeah, I mean... In a week or two, he won't be missed, will he? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh. It, it, well, it's harsh in the sense, but it's the reality, isn't it? He, yeah. he was, wasn't getting game time. He never got a chance, really. Did he play against Arsenal in centre mid? He did. That was when we finally saw him start as a defensive yeah. midfielder, and it was uh, sort of a mixture of good and bad. Can you remember all those horrendous shots that he had? I, they were... I wasn't at that game. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> okay. Well, it was. <laughs> He's worse at passing than Alex Tetty, and he's worse at shooting than Alex Tetty. Yeah. Which is an achievement. Which is an achievement. Um, you know, when Alex gets it right, he gets it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm sure everyone sort of has heard my thoughts on on Alex really because he's sort of a walking legend at the moment. He's in his eighth mm. season for the club. He's very close to moving into the, the top fifty all time appearances and stuff. Alex Tetty is going to be very fondly remembered if this is the end of his spell with Norwich, but. For Amadou, technically, he looked like he was even worse than than, than Tetty. So, defensively, he looked like he had the positioning. Mm-hmm. Even in that Arsenal game, he had one brilliant bo- block at the end of the game. So, that that just didn't work out. But what I'm what I'm interested in is that that he, there isn't too much cover now. Is the closer's not back until March? Um, it's, it's just interesting that they went ahead of it. We can only presume that the player made it pretty clear that he wasn't happy to stay. Yeah, factor in also his wages. Possibly yeah. they were thinking, let's just cut our losses, save the money for the summer. Because, I mean, the percentage, what, 80, 80%, 75% down, 25% staying up. They probably just hedge their bets and say, well, even if he gets on five times between now and the end of the mm. season, it's probably not worth it, is it? Um, and Farker's probably happy to to let him go, wasn't he? He would have had the final say, surely. But it, it's interesting because Paddy was saying the sort of the bucket they were shopping in in January. The bucket. <laughs> well, yeah, the bucket. Well, does it? I, I was going to say what they were scraping, but right. does it kind of show we ended up with Amadou from the summer transfer window? It doesn't necessarily fit the way Norwich play. Mm. You're talking about the passing, but there was no other options they could afford to bring in for that position. Possibly. I mean, the reports from Spain were that it was a nine million pound permanent deal, wasn't it? Um, if, uh, that was potential at the end of the season, which would have been a club record, wouldn't it? So, um, you know, he's played for Sevilla at the top level for Lille. He was Marcelo Bielsa's captain, but it just didn't work out. Yeah, and it, and it did feel there was a bit of a feel when he arrived that it was sort of a bit maybe a panic signing wasn't it and that has kind of worked out it, really for me it, it, it's a pretty it reflects quite negatively on, on the scouting really that he he really didn't look a Farker player did he Connor? No he didn't so I, I think fundamentally what it boiled down to was, was a lack of trust from, from Daniel Farker to, to play and, and implement his style of play because I certainly didn't see enough from, from Amadou from a technical point of view to to display that, that he was capable of that I, I think in terms of positioning certainly in terms of physicality possibly but I, I think as soon as he became a centre-back that, that was pretty much what he got labelled as um, by, by Daniel Farker so whether it was a, a, a trust over the the style of play I, I, I don't know whether the, the player sort of had reservations about being here but then he's he swapped a, a relegation battle in England for one in Spain um, 
I don't know. I, th- I think perhaps he's a player suited to to a game that perhaps um, is is a bit of a, a slower tempo, which which is maybe why he's he's done quite well in France and uh, Spain as well, I suppose to an extent. But in, in yeah, in terms of positioning, I, I thought he he actually was was pretty good. But in terms of technique, he, he left a lot to be desired. And if he's a, a nine million pound player, then I think that that shows what they're up against in the transfer market <laughs> because there's there's no way. Um, that, for me, that, that that's a value worth paying for for Ibrahim Amadou. But yeah, in, in terms of if, of cover, it leaves them short. Um, it's, it's funny to think now they're actually uh, shorter of, of defensive options than they were at the start of the window. Um, but that, that's that's the the position they put themselves in, I suppose. Daniel Farker would probably argue Ben Godfrey could step into the defensive midfield role, or mm. um, Alex Tetty could could drop back to centre back. But then we're, we're looking at almost square square pegs in round holes again. So. Yeah, look, I, I think Tony's probably right. It, it saves on the wages. It's a player that wasn't getting a lot of game time. It was probably a deal that was costing them a, a fair whack of money. So I think for all parties concerned, it, it was it was probably the right thing to do. Um, but it's, it's a shame we didn't see a bit more of him. But yeah, in, in terms of the scouting, I think it's it's incredibly difficult because, and, and again, we don't know, but if, if there is an issue of character, how do you scout that? How do you recruit that? It's, it's difficult. But yeah, in terms of the just, just how... He didn't adapt to the way that Norwich wanted to play. I think that is probably a failing of the scout team, but they've they've got plenty right. Um, so I, I think you could probably forgive them for for the few they've got wrong. But yeah, that that summer window I think is particularly the loan deals they did is um, yeah is, is as as we get further down the line is isn't looking uh, isn't looking great for them. I, I would argue. I think in fairness to players like Amadou, it's not uncommon that this happens purely because in the Premier League you just don't get time to bed a player in and give them 10, 20 games to get used to it because every game is so important, isn't it? Especially when you're fighting relegation. Farker couldn't afford to play him 20 games straight and, well, I mean, hindsight's wonderful but if it's not working he's out straight away isn't he yeah I don't think Amadou goes down as a total failure does he we'll always have Manchester City at home when he he came <laughs> in yeah, and he was he was superb that day wasn't he but as as were Norwich because they play they were like a team possessed that that day when they increasingly in reflection has felt like an FA Cup game isn't it where a lower league team just played a Absolutely, every player was a hundred percent. Luck was on their side. Man City didn't take their chances, and they ended up hanging on for an, for an epic result, which we, you know, we all will always remember that full time roar. It was it was incredibly special, and, and Amadou was was very good that day. Um, yeah, Godfrey is back from his ban against. That's Liber- a good seg. Man City next up needs uh, the same again. Liverpool, Liverpool next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah needs the same again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, Godfrey's back from his ban after this two week. Uh, winter break and I guess at some point we'll have to ask Daniel about whether he sees him as a as a potential cover for midfield he's never suggested so previously as he he just sees him as a centre back despite many people wondering if we would ever see Godfrey as a defensive midfielder for Norwich so that's maybe something that will will come up but yeah Liverpool just to finish on Pad we we may well do another pod before um, before we come back for for that Liverpool game we'll see how the, the break goes but as we sit here today they're 22 points clear at the top of the Premier League 22 points clear of the reigning champions Manchester City apparently that is the biggest gap ever in English top tier football Premier League or not they're just unreal aren't they probably still a few fans 
still thinking they might throw it away. <laughs> well, I've, 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 I think it's 100 points they've taken from a possible 102. It's, yeah. it's incredible. I mean, they, they're going to need about four buses, let alone one, yeah. um, to park. <laughs> so it, it is going to be, like you say, Pat, like that Man City game. They're going to have to draw something special and it needs that sort of FA Cup magic almost for Liverpool to have a bad day. I'll say it now. If they beat Liverpool, don't care. That is the best result in Norwich City's history. Ooh. Bar none. What, ahead of Bayern Munich? Anything. Anything. Yeah. Well, Liverpool are going down as one of the best teams ever at this rate. If they had a handicap, a three-goal head start at Norwich, would you still back Liverpool to to bag four? Yes. I'd take three goals Norwich, yeah. But unfortunately, it'll start nil-nil, my friend. So, yeah. <laughs> no, you can't, you can't see it. But... It's going to be some occasion. There's no doubt about it. And um, you know, Dan Jurgen Klopp said, uh, "Yeah, said that they were cheeky." Norwich were a very cheeky team um, after that opening night at Anfield. Seems a long time ago now, but you know, ultimately his side won four-one at Acanta. So it'll be an interesting parallel from opening night to now. Just let's just see how far this Norwich collective have come. You know, if they if they are far better without the ball and can add a little bit of what we continue to talk about that they're missing at the top end of the pitch Pookie aside then I think you're probably looking at it in terms of uh, the positives you can take out of it I don't think the result will be one of them though I'm afraid Wow that seems an apt point to end it on it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how it unfolds no pressure on Norwich of course <laughs> no one's going to expect them to win it but if they do pull something off it's going to be special Just enjoy it you've got to enjoy seeing the champions of Europe the future champions of England come some of the best players in the world world champions as well world champions nonetheless nonetheless but not the champions of the Carlin Cup <laughs> <laughs> well I'm sure they're gutted and and they of course have this uh, FA Cup um, replay during the break as well which where Klopp is uh, not playing his first team and resting them because they've got to be ready for Norwich haven't they yeah. so right thank you very much boys I think we've wrapped up the situation for the time being thank you very much for listening whether that's on our website on your chosen podcast provider or on Future Radio 107.8 FM if you ever get a chance to leave us a rating or a review that's always very appreciated and if you ever want to get in contact with us pose a question for the pod then you know where we all are on on social media we're always very happy for you to get in touch thank you very much for listening enjoy the winter break i say with uh, air quotation marks and uh, yeah tony well because he's off to morocco i'm i've also got a week off when i'm just going to lie down in a dark room and forget about the transfer window but for now thank you very much for listening we will catch up with you very soon